Want to be a better father to your son? Why not skip the weekend superhero movie and be the saint your son needs? If you can endure the elements, shirk some material comforts, and pray a rosary around a campfire, the troops of St. George are recruiting. Troop 77 of Collin County, the magnanimous 77th, is looking for a few good dads and their sons. Troop 77 is kicking off the school year at 7 p.m. Monday, August 30th. Check them out at tsg77.org. That's tsg77.org. Are you wondering what to do with the house and need to talk with someone who can explain your options? My name is Jake, and as real estate investors, my brother Gerald and I are working to resolve real estate issues in your local area. We're proud sponsors of this great radio station. So if you're looking for an offer or simply like to explore your different choices, then our number to call is 682-317-9330, or you can simply visit us at 911myhouse.com. Save the date, St. Gabriel the Archangel Parish in McKinney invites all married couples to their 10th annual Marriage Enrichment Retreat from October 9th through the 10th. The overnight retreat takes place at the Marriott Dallas Fort Worth at Champion Circle. The keynote speakers are Debbie and Marty Giorgiani. Debbie is co-host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. The event features fellowship, quality couple time, teachings, resort accommodations, and a catered dinner. For more information and to register, visit stgabriel.org. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas. Catholic radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, oh my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Dominic de Guzman, pray for us. Venerable Pierre de Sainte, pray for us. St. John Vianney, whose feast day it is, pray for us. Do you wake up some days and take a look at the latest ongoings coming out of the church and ever feel like you're in the middle of a Jerry Springer show episode. And I think that is really probably the, the best way to describe uh, the dysfunctional family we are sometimes. And I think there's a way to look at the liturgy to try to explain why things seem to be so dysfunctional at times. So that's what we're talking about today on the David L. Gray Show, Guadalupe Radio Network, Jerry Springer Catholicism. <laughs> In the second half of the show, Rhonda Gruenwald, founder of Vocation Ministry, will be here to talk about The Harvest, which is her new project, book, and workshop series that is designed to focus on bringing vocation promotion directly into all educational settings. This is a conversation we need to have because 
the only way to have a healthy family is to have a healthy father at the head of the family. And that begins by fostering healthy vocations. But let me tell you first how happy that I am that you tuned in this afternoon. And I pray that you know that Jesus truly does love you, that he is truly there for you and that he wants you to invite him into every aspect of your life, especially those parts of your life where you don't think you need him there. My producer, Cecil, is working hard today in the background. You can also see Cecil on the Guadalupe Radio Network show, Back to the Father, which airs most Fridays. I think it's going to be off this Friday, but it's a really good show. Dave Palmer, the general manager of the Dallas-Fort Worth Station, and he hosts that show, and it's really good. I'm usually watching it on Fridays because I'm here at work, and I typically have the YouTube up. And, and so uh, when it comes on, you know, it's already there. And, it's, yeah, it's a really good show. It's looking at St. Uh, uh, Thomistic Theology, really looking at the Summa and really talking about the the faith from a scholastic perspective. So it's, it's good. It's refreshing, refreshing. And you definitely should uh, tune in. So if you want to call in and opine, please call in when Rhonda Grunwald is here. You can call in at 877 877- Seven five seven nine four two four. That's eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. And Cecil will get you on. And make sure you start every day listening to the Catholic Drive Time Show with Joe McCain, Adrian Francesca, and Janelle Lee broadcasting on the Guadalupe Radio Network starting at six a.m. Central Standard Time. This is the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. So, um, so the 20, 2020, what, 2020, it's 2021, right? And we have the, the summer Olympic games from Tokyo on. And, um, so that's been going on, I think for about since last week, I haven't really watched much. And then my wife, Felicia is a summer games junkie. She's a summer games junkie, everything, especially track and field volleyball, gymnastics, and swimming. She has an appetite for this stuff like I've never seen. But I noticed that I've been watching less and less over the years because I noticed that I was always a bit sad when I was watching track and field. And and, and this is what I realized, and it took me many years, decades, to realize that the life you're living sometimes uh, is actually not your life, right? You're living <laughs> the dreams of your parents or, or the life of your parents, the life they want you to have, right? And so there's the dreams of your father, your parents, and there's their life. And then there's your life that you have to figure out some way along the way. They, they may be the same or they may be different, right? You know, when I, I played the trumpet, for example, you know, I played the trumpet since about fourth grade. You know Why? Because my grandfather, he thought I should have a musical skill to fall back on, you know, in, in case, you know, the whole job thing didn't work out. You know, that was his generation. You know, it was older generation. I guess if you had an instrument, you'd go find a gig somewhere, make some money on the weekends. I don't know if it still works like that. But that's what he thought. If I, you know, if I knew how to play a trumpet, so I did, you know, all the way through into high school. 1984, I'm watching the Summer Olympics with my stepfather, Roy. And he asked me. He said, you know why I watch the Olympics? And I said, why? 
He said, because I want to see you there one day. I want to see you there one day. And I stuck in my head from that time on. I don't know why. It was, it was his dream, not mine. I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily want to be in the Olympics, right? But, you know, track was my thing. You know, high school, for the most part, I did swimming a little bit too. But track was kind of what I was better at the most. Um, I was good, not great. Uh, made regional high school, not state. Good, not great. My best time was in 800 meter in high school was two minutes, two seconds. My best time in college was one minute, 52 seconds. Good, good, not great. Right? But I thought I could at least try out for the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. I went to the right college to run track. Uh, the team I was on had Olympians on it from Jamaica. But when I got to college, see, in college, they had these weird things there. They had these things called um, girls fraternity parties and alcohol, which for a kid from a small town, uh, man, that, that was really like a Pandora's box once I opened that up. So got majorly distracted, quit the track team. And for the next 20 years of my life, I would get sad for not giving Roy his dream. I should have been an Olympian. <laughs> his dream, not mine. But the dreams of your parents are tough to escape. And I haven't, you know, I admit, I haven't, I haven't escaped altogether, I would say. I just avoid watching track and field anymore, especially at 800 meter. But I did catch a few great stories this, uh, this Olympic season in Tokyo. Simone Biles, who is a Catholic, um, she had to resign from an earlier event over something called the Twisties, which, um, which I had never heard of, right? I thought twisties was something that happens when you, you know, you keep twisting your hair at your finger, right? I thought that was a twisties here to four, but she came back to win a bronze in another event, which is amazing because she won a bronze by doing something that was very basic, um, very basic routines for her. Uh, Tamara Mensa stock, right? Great story there. She became the second American woman to win wrestling. And saying after we're in um, a golden wrestling, brother, saying after the interview, she says, is by the grace of God that I'm even able to move my feet. I just leave it in his hands. And if you haven't seen the interview of um, Tamara Mensa stock and watching this girl cry and, and praise God and, and break down over her deceased father, not being able to be there, you probably need to go get your tear ducts examined, right? Everyone should moisten up in the eyes watching this girl. And, and you could tell part of her winning was a dream of her father. And, and she accomplished it. Good for her. The only other thing that really impressed me so far at the Tokyo Olympics was um, Norway's 400 meter hurler, Karsten Warholm, who destroyed his own world record. Destroyed it. And I don't know who said white guys can't jump, but Karsten, he has completely blown, a myth, blown that myth away. He's a hurler, jump after jump after jump, and he's the greatest in the world. And he's from Norway, and I think that's about as white as you can get, right? I mean, the black equivalent would be like a native from the northern Samo um, Solomon Islands or Mozambique. That's about as black as you can get. So Karsten, he's destroyed that myth once for all. He's phenomenal. His parents were at the race in Tokyo. And after he won, his father, Michael, said, it's amazing how he managed to perform today. I'm simply overwhelmed.
This is a David L. Gray show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. I'm Jamie Cardine. She's in the chat box on the YouTube channel. Uh, she said, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, Tamara Mensah's stock, I mean, that was phenomenal. So much emotion there. It's just, just, I don't know if she's Catholic or not. I know she went to a Baptist university. Uh, and she met her husband there. So I don't know if she's Catholic or not, but she has really just, she's really have, have a deep face. Um, Lucia Morgan says, we never, no longer watch the Olympics. She's over here on Facebook says, because it has become too political. Athletes seem to be competing for who is the most walk versus the most proficient in their sport. Most woke. Yeah. Also, I cannot watch any American athlete disrespect. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? It's it's tough. Um, watching that's that's really the innocent mirth, right, that we miss. When Olympics just used to be about people just pushing their bodies, right? And I think that, that that's what people miss about sports in this country before it became all about this fake woke and about social engineering and people preaching to us the innocence of people just pushing their bodies to extreme limits and making the body do things that most people never do, do, do with their bodies. Right. I, sw- I wish we could go back to that time of innocence as well. You know, for me being Catholic, you know, before, you know, before uh, I, I knew my Catholic family was so dysfunctional at times, right. Uh, 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 the innocence of when I first became Catholic, right. Uh, uh, the, the, the dysfunctional father, in the Catholic church sometimes, you know, when I became Catholic, you know, I actually thought that all Catholics believe the same thing. I mean, why wouldn't I, I read the catechism. That's what convinced me that the Catholic church truly is the church of the apostles aside from the historical case. And I had no reason to believe that there were Catholics who did not accept the dogmatic teaching of the Catholic church. I, I was completely blown away that Catholics, that the Catholic church had consistent, had a consistent teaching on the sacraments for 2000 years that they hadn't changed their definition of marriage or the sanctity of life in the womb, that they had evidence of the Holy saints and have that all that you had to do to be a good Catholic, which is to find a saint and follow that saint. Right. And, and, and most importantly, Catholics had a Eucharist, Jesus himself. I felt completely cheated that I never knew about the Holy Eucharist all my life. What Catholics had Jesus in the flesh, the whole time Jesus physically came to every mass body, blood, soul, and divinity. And no one told me about that. I was scandalized. Then years later, right? I heard that most Catholics don't even believe that central mystery of the faith. Oh, the return to innocent mirth. <laughs> when, when, I, when I thought about, you know, when I became Catholic that, you know, you know, I thought I would only, I, this how this how like ignorant I was that I thought I would be like the only black Catholic in the church. Really, I really thought that me becoming Catholic was going to be like some sort of Jackie Robinson event <laughs> that I was going to break the color line because I had never heard of a black Catholic, even in my neighborhood growing up. Many of my friends, you know, they went to Catholic schools, but nobody they weren't Catholic. I didn't even know that I, I didn't know what Catholics were. But every Sunday, I never saw a black person walk into St. James Catholic Church, which is like you you could see it from my house growing up. And that was my only frame of reference. And when I became a Catholic, you know, I would read things. I would read anything I got my hand on. 
right? Just the innocence. I read anything out of my hands. So my favorite person to read back there was a guy named Richard Rohr, <laughs> the Franciscan, who now, you know, many traditional Catholics would call a heretic. But I didn't know. The innocence. It, it wasn't until I started my master's degree in theology um, that I finally understood what was wrong with his theology. You know, I, I guess I, I should opine on that for a second, right? I think I opened up that little box. But so, Richard Murr. So, um, and then I'll get into the Jerry Springer stuff real quick. Uh, so, Richard Rohr, uh, Franciscan, really popular. He accepts um, the liberal theology notion that posits that historically we have read the Gospels from the perspective of the rich and the powerful, uh, a top-down view of the human experience in, in the Gospels. But it, it's true that Jesus encounters many wealthy people in the Bible, from Nicodemus to Zacchaeus to the rich young man to Martha, whose wealth was so well-known that she's spoken of outside the Bible. Very influential woman, very wealthy woman. The parable was about the wedding feast, the unforgiving brother or the prodigal son or merciful father, whatever you want to call that story. Another well-to-do family. The master who gives the servants money to save or invest. So there's plenty of stories about rich people and about the middle class. The middle class people in the Bible, like the apostles, blue collar guys, fishermen and such, not destitute, not rich, middle class, right? But what the liberal idea wants to do is look at the gospels from just the perspective of the poor, uh, the sick, the lame. Again, I wish there are many stories. And I remember even one of my earlier books. Corporate God, Life of the Cross. I'm embracing Richard War. In that book, I'm talking about people on the margins, how how people on the margins, how they understand life, they get it, they understand be Jesus better than the rich. But the, but the fact that matters is that to look at the Gospels from just one perspective is deficient. And it builds a false narrative about Jesus. And this is really the same criticism I had about the, the critical race theory. It only looks at the legal data right, to try to explain everything. It doesn't look at economic data, educational data, religious data in, in uh, any other data, right? It's just legal. So it's deficient, a flaw by its very nature. So the new thing that Jesus brought was not true for the poor or for just for the rich or the middle class. What Jesus brought was relationship with his father. And through him and his sacrifice uh, made it possible for us to have relationship with the father and, and to live out the will, not the dream, the will of our eternal father, which is to come into knowledge of truth revealed through his son who we abide in. We abide in the truth who is a person named Jesus Christ. This is a David L. Gray show voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe radio network. <clears throat> so Jerry Springer. So from 1991 to 2018, America daytime TV featured a show called the Jerry Springer show. You may remember this. It was hosted by Cincinnati mayor, also lawyer and journalist, guy named Jerry Springer. So it started in 1991, but in 1994, until his final broadcast, the Jerry Springer was tabloid TV. Sensational messiness that made a spectacle of family dysfunction. And I think a version of the Jerry Springer show plays out frequently in the Catholic Church today. Let me explain. Because I was a big fan of Jerry Springer's show. I was a big fan because it made me feel normal. You know, I had even had friends when I was in college. I had friends who went on this show with completely fictional made up stories. They just want to get on the show. They made up a story. And it seems like Jerry had a lot of different storylines. It does seem like he had a lot of different things going on, but no, there were actually only three skits that Jerry did. Many of which were staged. The first skit 
what's called the surprise skit, where there would be two guests and one of them would have a secret to tell the other. The secret could be that they were cheating, they were gay, they were transgender, a prostitute, or in a relationship with a relative, right? Something messy. The second skit was called the baby daddy skit, where a woman who was unsure about whether the other person was staged was actually their baby daddy, right? Was actually the child of their father, the father of their child. And they needed to have Jerry give them a paternity test. You are the father, you're not the father. He would say after going through all the messy events that got them into that position. Then there was the third skit, what I call the Royal Rumble or the Melee, where the whole purpose of the show was to start a physical fight. Now, um, now skit one and two could devolve into skit three, but it was not necessary that they did. Uh, during, the rubble, uh, during the Royal Rumble um, or Melee, the crowd would always shout, Jerry, Jerry. So Jerry Springer Catholicism. If you happen to turn on the news any day of the week, <laughs> Sean Marie saying that show made me cringe. Yeah, it was it was a cringy show. But any day of the week, you could turn on Church Militant, The World Over with Raymond Arroyo, EW10, or you could browse the Catholic Twitter or read Big Pulpit or Canon 212, The Remnant, Dr. Taylor Marshall, anywhere. And you will quickly learn that almost weekly, the Catholic hierarchy, and even sometimes the lower clerics, are giving us a version of one of these three Jerry Springer skits, okay? Here it is. The Catholic version of Jerry Springer skit one. The surprise skit. I'm secretly gay. The pillar and church militant have been working overtime to expose active homosexuals in a clergy. Just this past week, General Secretary of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, Monsignor Jeff Burrell, and Adam Park, the vice rector at a pontifical North American College Seminary in Rome, both resigned after it was revealed that they had been actively pursuing the gay lifestyle. Of course, the people in charge dare not laicize them or remove them altogether from active ministry as quick as they were to remove Father James Altman, but true to form, they just shuffle them around. And we haven't, uh, I'd say we haven't heard anything. Uh, it's, it's like we haven't learned anything over the last 20 years about what to do with men who are not psychologically healthy enough to be priests. But that's what the Jerry Springer Catholic Church is and how dysfunctional, how dysfunction becomes normal. And you can bet there's more of these surprise I'm gay skits that are coming in the near future. The Catholic version of the Jerry Springer skit too, the baby daddy paternity test. Good fathers are being removed from the ministry more and more recently and replaced with disinterested fathers. Bad fathers are getting big parishes, and good fathers get small parishes. And out of the middle of nowhere, right? They, they send good priests just to, 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 to the smallest town and the smallest parish you can find. Bad priests get the biggest parishes, all the endowments. Potentially good fathers are being removed from the seminary while men with homosexual inclinations are being pushed through seminary all the while having a laity with no recourse but to write the chancery and ask for a paternity test. This priest isn't really acting like a father. Can someone look into this? Only to get a letter from the bishop saying, that priest is your daddy. Unless there's a good priest like Father Altman, and then the answer is, that priest is not your daddy. That's Jerry Springer Catholicism. The Catholic version of Spring Jerry Springer, skit three, the melee. 
I don't know when the bishops were ever on the same page, but for the last eight years, the infighting and divisions between them has increased substantially. It seems to be to the degree that even is visible to non-Catholics, right? I, I have non-Catholic people come up to me sometimes and say, well, you know, what's wrong with you guys? Bishops seem like they're fighting all the time. It's true. From diocese to diocese today, you get a completely different thing from diocese to diocese. The latest liturgical discipline by Pope Francis has only made it worse. Some dioceses are forbidding the traditional Latin mass together, while others are staying the course or increasing opportunities. That's not Catholicism. That's messy. That's not universality. That's messy. But this is from the same Pope who encouraged Catholic youth to go out and make a mess of their faith. And a mess is what we have seen. Bishops backstabbing each other at the conferences, undermining each other, forming cliques and coops to win power. Listen, this is Jerry Springer Catholicism. That's the only thing you, that's the only way you can really describe it. So, so I, I guess the question, I'm about to wrap this up. So I'm going to bring Rhonda Gruenwald. We're going to talk about vocations, but let, let, let me wrap this up. So how does this messiness happen? How, how do we get into this set of a Jerry Springer episode? Let's take a stab at this in liturgical terms, you know, cause that's my area of focus, the liturgy, uh, and, and, listen, and I'm in no way anti Norvis Soto, right? Um, I'm not. You know, if, if there's 52 masses in a year, I'm at a Norvis Soto, probably 60% of those. So I can function well in that mass that we have. But, but I will say that we cannot dis, diminish the psychological effect that the liturgy has on the mind of many. Because images matter. Form matters. These things weigh on the psychology and on the cognition. So for 50 years, we've watched our father, at least who we think our father is, turn his back to Jesus. In the sanctuary, Jesus is behind him. The tabernacle, if there is one, is behind him. We see this with our eyes. That has to have an effect. Our father with his back turned to Jesus and facing us as if he's worshiping us. And us facing him as if we are worshiping him for much of the liturgy. The quickest way to turn your life into a mess, into a Jerry Springer episode, is to not turn to Jesus and face him and to be accountable. Yet, the liturgy presents to us an image of where the crucifix is just a prop. The tabernacle is just a prop. And our father is self-indulgent, full of pride and narcissistic, that he never turns to face him. Even in our prayers of consecration, he elevates the host, not to Calvary, the source of our revelation, but to us, as if it were a trophy. I'm not blaming the oddity of the innovative uh, and the innovations that we see in the liturgy that doesn't turn to face the source of a revelation on all our problems or why we seem to be in the middle of a Jerry Springer episode. But what I am saying is that images matter. Example of the Father matters. And if the nervous order is what we stuck with, if that's what we're stuck with, we should implore with all our resources to at least encourage our priests to offer it ad orientum, facing Calvary. That's the ordinary form of the Norvis Ordo. 
And so being so, it's essential to our faith that a normalcy in our prayer life begins to lead to a normalcy in the lived experience of our faith. Well, that's all I know about that. This is the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Right after the break, we'll have Rhonda Grunewald on. She'll be in the studio to talk about her book, workshop, and series called The Harvest. Um, that is bringing the call to vocation into the classroom where students spend most of their day. We'll be back in two minutes. I'll bet you know by now that Amazon Smile is a great way to support your favorite charity. And supporting the Guadalupe Radio Network while you shop is easy. Step one, just start off at smile.amazon.com. Step two, choose La Promesa Foundation as your charity. La Promesa Foundation is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio Network. And step three, enjoy your shopping. Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase to the La Promesa Foundation, and it doesn't cost you any extra. La Promesa Foundation and Guadalupe Radio Network, thank you. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Hi, this is Len Oswald, president of the GRN. The promises that we made when we formed La Promesa Foundation, which were made in a covenant of love to our Lord Jesus Christ and to Our Lady of Guadalupe, were that we would protect the sanctity of life from conception until natural death, carry out the mission of evangelization as called for by baptism, help build strong holy families, and promote holy vocations. Starting with absolutely nothing, we placed our trust in the Lord and our Blessed Mother. And in August 1996, we were breaking ground to build a Catholic Resource Center in West Texas. Four years later, we went on the air with our first radio station, and we now operate 35 stations. We are the largest EWTN affiliate in the United States. We are your Catholic radio station. Radio for your soul. And I want to thank you for being part of the Guadalupe Radio Network family. Welcome back in to the David O'Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Rhonda Grunewald is a 1999 convert to Catholicism, a former high school teacher and a founder of Vocation Ministry. Vocation Ministry has worked with over 6,000 vocation promoters and ministers nationwide, presenting informational workshops to deacons, priests, religious, and laity on how to establish and revive Catholic ministry. Following up on a success and demand of her first book, A Hundredfold, A Guide to Parish Vocation Ministry with the Heart of a Teacher, Rhonda hopes her newest book, The Harvest, a guide to vocation ministry education will increase vocations for years to come. If you want to converse or pine with Rhonda, just call in 877-757-9424. Again, that's 877-757-9424. Rhonda, welcome on to the David O. Gray Show, Voicing Street from Reason. Thank 
you. It's so great to be with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, so, so excited to be conversing about this uh, amazing book, also workshop and, and just entire ministry that you have going on to um, address that something that you call a crisis. Uh, talk to what's what's the crisis in 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 uh, that we're, that needs to be resolved here. Well, the the crisis overall is um, it's it's multifaceted because if you talk about priesthood, religious life, and sacramental marriage being vocations, right? Our overarching universal call is to holiness. There, I would think that any. Catholic paying attention thinks there's a, probably a problem right there, that most Catholics aren't striving for holiness. Um, most aren't on their knees asking God what is his will in their lives. <laughs> so that right there. Okay, so that's one. And that is a goal of vocation ministries, getting everybody, no matter where they are, whether in their parish, in their family, in their schools and catechism classes to do just that. Ask God, what do you want from my life? Okay. Um, and then we have priesthood, religious life, sacramental marriage. Well, at the heart of any family is a marriage and that's where we get the, all the vocations, right? So, uh, we know marriage is under attack. Uh, marriage is not marriages in parish life. Aren't being affirmed. They're not being lifted up. There's very rarely do you find a parish with any marriage ministry for not pre, not pre Cana. I'm talking about like married couples because i know i talk to priests all over the country and i ask them to raise their hand if they have anything and maybe one or two will in a whole diocese so it just it's astounding um priesthood uh globally we have forty-five thousand parishes without a resident priest pastor wow 3500 in the united states but forty-five thousand globally uh we have five thousand fewer priests than we did in 1970, but we have double the amount of Catholics as we did in 1970. So we have, that's where a lot of this comes from. We have so many more parishes to take care of the Catholics, but we have 5,000 fewer priests. Right. Okay. So that's definitely, yeah, that's definitely a a crisis. I mean, just the numbers themselves are uh, alarming. Right. And but let me back up for a moment, because you're, you know, I introduced you as a convert to the Catholic faith. Tell us a little bit just about your story. Who is Rhonda Gruenwald, and how? Why did you become Catholic? Sure. Well, I grew up with no faith whatsoever. My dad didn't want the Bible read in the house, and my mom was Methodist. She said she lost that battle. We went to church a handful of times. I had no connection to God or Jesus. Um, they divorced when I was twelve. I went to University of Texas in Austin. And praise God, graduated from there without any major issues, <laughs> like, you know, without God in my life, you know. Um, then I started yeah. teaching at a, a public, a large public high school north of Houston. And it was in that time of life that there was a Methodist church down the road that I was passing constantly. And I said, you know, I should probably go back. So I go back, I get baptized at 25. Because in the Methodist church, you okay. get baptized later, right? And that's when my parents were having real big problem. So I was, my being baptized was the least of their worries. And so it was the next year I met my husband now of 24 years. Uh, and he was just Catholic enough to say, I can't get married over there. 
He's like, we need it. We need to have an open bar at our wedding. So like, these are the two things we need to have an open bar at our wedding and we're getting married in a Catholic church. Okay. So these were the two things that we were concerned about. Um, and then I become, then, so we get married in the church. I'm still not Catholic. We find a parish home. I'm now start going through RCIA and I am pregnant. Okay. So okay. I'm supposed to come into the church at the Easter vigil, of course. But I give birth that night, David. So that didn't happen. So <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. So then, wow. so my daughter was baptized. I was confirmed. Same mass, June thirteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Okay. And then I took a deep dive because, honestly, and for those who are lifelong Catholics and you just grew up in all of this and you grew up talk talking about saints and feast days and the liturgical calendar and seasons and. I don't know, but I'm just telling you, just have a lot of grace and patience with the new folks, with the converts, because <laughs> that was a lot. That was a lot. Yeah. So I yeah. spent a lot of time in formation early on, studying John Paul II's encyclicals about how to be a, mo a Catholic mother and a wife and a Mary. I had a whole year on Mary. Like, wow. that was so needed. And we did couples ministry. Um, and then in 2011, we had a brand new priest, Father Victor Perez at our parish, and he called out of the blue one day and said, can you and your husband come to a meeting about priests and such up at church in three hours? I mean, it, and, and we're in Houston. It's not like we live like in a tiny little town or, you know, we had nothing going on, but it was fine. <laughs> but truth yeah. be told, David, I go to this meeting and I have no idea what we're talking about. The convert in me, I had no clue that vocation meant religious life priesthood marriage I, I thought it was like a job i'm like what are we talking about anyway it didn't matter okay his father victor was yeah. convicted this is one of the most important things we could do at our parish so i went home and googled what's a vocation <laughs> i thought there might be something telling me how to do this work but no so we just started praying and promoting vocations any way we could at our parish saint cecilia and and then a couple of years into that the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston said, how can we do this all over Houston to me? And I said, nobody, nobody's more surprised than all of these things that have happened than I am, I promise you. Um, I said, maybe yeah. I, could write a, I could write a pamphlet. I was going to write a little <laughs> tripole for a successful parish vocation committee. Well, the Holy Spirit had bigger plans. 17 months later, it turns into 100-fold, a guide to parish vocation ministry. It's the A to Z guide on how to create a culture of vocations in your parish, right? Everything I wish I would have known in 2011. Um, and I thought with that and our website, vocationministry.com, where all the resources are to download, I thought, whew, I'm done. That's it. I did it all. Yay. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. then I go to a vocation director's conference. Every diocese has a priest. It's a vocation director. So I go to this conference to tell everybody about Hunterfold. And they yeah. start, they had read it and they were like, can you come speak to our priests? Can you come speak to our parishioners? And I was like, oh, wait, hold on. Um, hello. Did you, you read the first part of the book? Did you know I'm a convert? We can't talk to priests. Like what? <laughs> that doesn't work. That's not how this works. You got to be like yeah. a theologian to talk to priests. And they're like, nope, you're yeah. the one. So I just keep saying, yes, I am a fool for Christ, just like Mother Angelica. I, mean, I don't want to put myself in the same category. I'm just saying that she, whenever anything crazy or impossible was put in front of her, she kept saying yes. And yeah. so I 
So I just keep saying yes. And we just gave our 100th workshop since 2015. This week, 100 wow. workshops, 48 dioceses in five and a half years. Wow. So who knew how much That's this an amazing thing. So you just, it just, it just, I mean, it just goes to show, you know, again, that, you know, God um, prepares the call, right? That you don't have to have everything together. You don't have to know everything. That if God is calling you to do something, he'll equip you, he'll He'll prepare you, and he'll open up doors for you. And so, man, that's just a wonderful testimony of how God works in people's lives. So that, that's wonderful. Yeah, I wasn't even Catholic. And I wasn't even Catholic when <laughs> I, but I was an English teacher right? He formed me yeah. to be able to write. I was a speech and debate coach. I could, I could give a speech and I could teach people how to do this. Yeah. Like he gave me everything yeah. I needed before I was even Catholic to be able to do this ministry. What? That's how it works. Yeah. That's, that's exactly how, yeah. How he works. totally Are you quit. still, are you still teaching? No, no. I stopped when, so three days before my daughter was born in 1999, I stopped teaching. So I taught for six years in high school okay. and then i was i'm seriously i was just a, a mom and a volunteer when all this started falling into my lap there was no plan yeah. of mine to be doing this whatsoever <laughs> but then when i was hey, what, traveling what? when i was traveling i started getting the question what can we do for our schools do you have anything for yeah. our catechism classes yeah what can we do and i was like uh um well i have i have hundredfold <laughs> <laughs> Can adapt the activities in there, but I knew that wasn't the answer. So when COVID hit and I could, I wasn't able to travel anymore. Well, for the time being, anyway, my prayer was, Holy Spirit, use me. I don't want to come out of this time with nothing to show for it. I want you to, because I, I know God's still calling men and women right now during COVID, during the pandemic. He's still calling them to become priests, sisters, to get married. So I need to still be doing my work. What, what can I do? Right. So I started interviewing teachers, catechists, campus ministers, homeschool families to find out what they were doing in their environment to create a vocation friendly place. And so, and then I wrestled with the Holy Spirit. David, can I tell you that when you wrestle with the Holy Spirit, you are not going to win. Can I just say that? If no, 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 no. That's there. <laughs> You're not going to win. It's good to, it's a good wrestle match though. It's, it's good to learn that you can't win. It was needed some surrendering from me because I did not yeah. want to write a book. So then the book came eventually after wrestling with the Holy spirit, I sat down and wrote the harvest, a guide to vocation ministry and education. So we have, um, so we're speaking with Rhonda Grunwald, uh, who is a convert of faith. Most importantly, she is, so this, she's following up her book a hundredfold, which is a guide to vocation ministry with this book, The Harvest, which also, like the hundredfold, has turned into workshop series and, and um, hands-on learning. And so we have um, Catherine on the line. Let me bring her on. Catherine, welcome into the David O'Gray Show. Hello. <laughs> and I'm actually calling in from Houston, Rhonda's hometown. And I just want to share, I have had the pleasure to attend a vocation, an archdiocesan vocation um, conference where Rhonda was the featured speaker and it was such a blessing for everyone in wow. that room and her book hundredfold wow. and her messages and her just her yes her resounding cheerfulness 
and perseverance and making everything sound so simple just changes everything. And it makes a parish feel like they can really encourage vocations. And I can tell you as a parent, it makes a parent feel like we can encourage vocation. So I just want to thank you guys both for having this conversation today. And Rhonda, we're so looking forward to your book. Wow. Thanks, what Catherine. a testimony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a great call. And it, sort of, and it jumps into what I want to talk about because you, you know, you and I were both former teachers and, you know, we're both converts. And looking back on the history of the church, the church used to be in a different position because in, in the Catholic schools, it was already set up for to foster vocations because in the schools you had religious teaching, you had the nuns, you had priests. And so you had people in there who were living the experience of responding to the vocation. And so the students had people there they could interact with and ask questions. And, and so the, the, the dynamic is already set up. And so, you know, history happens, whatever while you know while we no longer we no longer have that resource to draw from to have in schools and so that's why i think your book is so important because it, it puts teachers back into the role of um in, uh, engaging students in having them enter into start asking those questions is god calling me to that and that's what you're doing right Right, is that we're helping the laity who are by and large teaching our kids. Uh, we're helping catechists, uh, campus youth ministers um, to give them the tools they need to do exactly this, to create what we, we used to have. Now it's gonna be harder because we have society butting up against everything we're saying. Do you get what I'm saying? We are, we're advocating praying, asking God what is his will in our lives. And society's out there saying, What's do whatever makes you happy, do whatever is going to bring you success and money and all these things, all these trappings. Right. So so we're going to be, um, you know, uh, going against the society in general, but that doesn't mean it it's any less important. And I feel like it probably means it's more important, actually, that we do this. So so it's the activities are 75 activities in the in the book and there's plenty on vocationministry.com if they go to the education pages there's so many resources there for a teacher to get started this year there's no reason to wait okay. go go buy the book go to the website get started um, and the activities are in categories prayer awareness and education and affirmation so we need everybody praying in a variety of different ways like just why is there not a daily prayer or vocation should be some aspect of a prayer within a Catholic school on a regular basis, you know, in some way, just asking God, you know, I, let me do your will. You know, I'm again, the word vocation isn't what's important. It's teaching. How do we listen to God? How do we do? Yeah, what give me, give wants. some, um, what, are, what are like some, just like some, uh, give us a, like just a couple examples of what teachers would be doing? How does the work look? Right. So, so with prayer, they're offering prayer sometime throughout the day. There, there may be at mass, right? The prayers of the faithful should have vocation related prayers of the faithful, like just in general praying um, the, and, and that the school is praying together. Maybe they're all praying the same prayer for vocations. So uh, then awareness and education, this could be bulletin boards. Are they, are they really putting up like that seminarian poster are they are they yeah. putting up the saints that were sisters 
pictures of them? Um, are they calling upon them? Are they, are they uh, really diving deep into the saints? I say sprinkle vocations into what's already happening at the school. Like at our school, my son was in the wax museum they had in fourth grade. He was Elvis Presley. He dressed, he researched Elvis Presley. He dressed up as Elvis Presley. Then all the parents came. They pushed a little fake button and he would say, you know, do his favorite, you know, Elvis yeah. Presley and tell about Elvis Presley. <laughs> Why aren't we doing a Saint Wax Museum? Like we need to be encouraging that kind of exposure all the time throughout the day, throughout the year. Um, and then lastly is affirmation. The last type of act activity is affirmation. And that's affirming those who've already said yes. Affirming their, the priest who works at the school or works in, with the catechist, the parish priest. Affirm him on his birthday, yeah. on his ordination anniversary. Married couples. What are we doing in school and catechism classes for National Marriage Week every year? Are we doing anything at all? To, to affirm those who've already said yes and to bring about awareness that marriage is a vocation to be discerned, mm -hmm. right? Instead of just falling into it or not getting married at all, David, that's the, our biggest problem right now is couples just yeah. aren't getting married or they're, and they're surely not getting married in the church. There's so few compared to what we used to have. So we need to bring yeah. back awareness that this is a beautiful vocation. Because again, if we don't have yeah. marriages striving for holiness, we aren't going to have sisters and priests because guess what? They don't fall from trees. They are, <laughs> they are come from family. They come from yeah. family striving right. for holiness. Yeah. Yeah. And I always talk about on the show that three, that the three building blocks, a very healthy society, it begins with the family and its education and its morals and values, you know, particularly the Christian morals and values uh, from the Catholic church. And so, those are the building blocks. And what I really like about your book and your what you're doing now is that it seems to be so intentional, right? That is, that marriage is not an accident. It's not something you fall into. It's a calling. The priesthood is not an accident necessarily that you fall into. It's a calling. And sometimes things may appear to be accidents, you know, circumstances that you fall into. But all that time, God was calling you to this. And so there's some intentional things you can ask yourself, but also what you're doing is the, the, the important part of preparing yourself for these future callings, right? Right. Well, did you know that year after year, 75% of the newly ordained say they first heard the call between birth and 18 years of age? 75% wow. birth and 18 years of wow. age. Okay, so that means that when they are in the pews, when they're altar serving, when they're in the Catholic schools, when they're in the catechism classes, that's when they're first hearing it. So, but you know what's happening is they hear it and it goes right out the other ear because they never heard, hear the word vocation. They don't know what discernment is. They, they don't know anything because nobody's talking about it. And, and until we get that to be normalized, that vocations is second nature and discernment is normal, then we just continue to have this problem that we that we don't have enough priests, we don't have enough sisters, and people aren't fine. The problem is we've got lost vocations walking all around. We've got <laughs> people who are called, not answering the call, and walking around, you know, and staying single, or they end up married where they were really called to be a priest. Now God's going to allow you to do that because right. you have such a thing as free yeah. will. 
but we should have way more sisters and priests and married couples right now. So um, I, I just want to put that in the hearts of anybody working with the youth that to be walking with them, to encourage the mm. little kindergartner when Sally says, I want to be a sister, instead of saying, oh, honey, nobody does that anymore. Or you should do something <laughs> make more, more successful. Come on, you want to be more successful. Say, oh my gosh, God has a big plan for you, Sally. That is incredible. And I'm going to be praying for you. Keep, keep praying and ask God what he wants for you, right? That's what we should be saying. Yeah, that's what we should be yeah. saying. And there, if we and did speaking that, with Rhonda a uh, who's a convert to the faith, but we're talking speaking about her book, The Harvest, which is a guide to vocation ministry in education. We have a little bit more time, about seven more minutes. If you want to call in, you know, pine or ask Rhonda a question, you call in 877-757-9424. Again, that's 877-757-9424 on David O. Gray Show on Guade Lupe Radio Network. Rhonda, where were some, uh, what successes have you seen so far with your, um, your, your book and your, and your workshops? So we have found that when you, just when you were talking earlier about intentionality, if a diocese, a parish, a school, a catechism uh, program is intentional, vocations grow. Um, one of uh, our very first workshop was in Grand Island, Nebraska. And David, I've got a, a real, it's shocked me that Grand Island, Nebraska, that's the diocese there. It's not grand and it's not an island. It's, it's, it's got cow, more cows and people. I had no idea. So I was expecting something totally different. But anyway, we go there, we give two workshops for 60 people total, priests and parishioners in there. See, they were desperate. They had one lone seminarian at that time. Can you imagine a diocese with just one seminarian? So one wow. seminarian, I teach them what to do. I give them, first you do this, then you do this, then you do this, just like what's in the book. And they did it. I go back in 2019, three years later, and the people who came to the first workshop came to the second workshop and they stood up and they're like, well, we did it. We did what you said to do. And we now have a seminarian and we have a seminarian and we have, they have nine seminarians now. Like it went, wow. it went from one to nine in three years because of the intentionality. Wow. So we know it works. We have stories like that all over the country. So we, we and we need more. Wow. I mean, that's just with the priests, but we know that any diocese that's really focused on vocations, they're going to have more sisters. They're going to be focused on marriage more. Like it, it encompasses all of that. So that's the, we, we know if it, if people really want this to happen and they've got to know why. They've got to know the mission, right? And I don't know if people yeah. realize that we have in the North and Northeast, particularly when you, um, the average age of a priest is hovering at 70 years of age. That's the average mm -hmm. age of a priest. Um, 70 years so old. Many of them, average uh, age. Average age. That's amazing. So yeah. many of them are past retirement, still working. It, yeah. It's not a healthy situation. So uh, I no. The, the why has to be big. We need, and, and so I want everybody to hear me clearly. We need holy marriages. We need more sisters teaching in our classrooms, taking care of the sick. If you, basically any ill in the Catholic church or any need in the Catholic church, there's a community of sisters trying to take care of that ill or that need. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. need sisters. And Robert had a question, um, Rhonda, Rob, Robert had a question or a comm box about, 
Um, you mentioned priesthood as a vocation. He's asking, is being a deacon also a vocation? Good question. Okay, so, and my husband's in the diaconate formation, so God bless all of our deacons. <laughs> um, but the permanent diaconate is not technically, they are clergy, but the church teaches priesthood, religious life, and sacramental marriage is, our mar is the three vocations underneath the universal call of holiness. Um, most deacons are married, like a very large percentage are married. So the, their first vocation, as I've been through diaconate classes, is to marriage. So we want them to be focusing on their marriage. Uh, we are looking at creating something for deacons because there are more and more deacons throughout the world. Yeah. And uh, but right now they don't have a ministry taking care of them or like what I'm doing mm. for priesthood and religious life. So just know, Robert, that I, I'm, it's been put in front of me many times. <laughs> so I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a good point because, you know, the calling would be the priesthood. Um, marriage or a consecrated, you know, life. And so the calling to be a deacon would seems to come out of that, that calling typically of what you're saying of, of marriage. There's that community to go serve out, out of marriage. So that, I, I, that, that makes sense. So, uh, and so people can find you Rhonda, if they want to know more about what you're doing and how to get you at their parish, at their schools, at their conferences, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So go to vocationministry.com. It's all there. Um, the They can go to the shop to get the book or any, uh, I've got cute like vocation bears and and t-shirts and all kinds of kids books. Oh, like wow. Beckett, Beckett wants to be a priest about a, a little boy who's six years old and he wants to be a priest and he knew from the, and he still does. I know that kid. So <laughs> um, anyway, I've got yeah. all kinds of great stuff at the shop. You go to the about section to find workshops and about how I can come and speak to catechists or campus ministers or teachers or principals or whomever. Um, and any, anything you want to know about how, like doing this work is go to either parish or education, depending on where you're at. And what's some, so give us some final thoughts, you know, wrapping up our conversation, you started off talking about the crisis in the church. Uh, you talked about where God has called you to fit into uh, responding to that crisis. Uh, what, what are some of your wrapping this, our conversation? Uh, what are some final thoughts that you like to offer the audience? Well, I would encourage and challenge everyone to offer prayer um, for vocations on a daily basis. Um, that can be different things because uh, it, today is St. John Vianney's feast day, who is the, uh, he is a saint, patron saint of uh, parish priests. Yeah. And so it's so exciting that today is that day. It's a great day to be praying for our priests and they need that prayer. Um, but be, be praying in general. We need a generous answer to that big call from God, from young, yeah, our young yeah, people. Yeah. So be praying. All right. Thanks so much, Rhonda Grunewald, for coming on the David O. Gray Show, Voicing Truth and Reason. Make sure you guys get out there, get Rhonda's book, visit her ministry and support her. The work she's doing is essential to what's going on in the church today. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back same time, same place next week and to converse with you again. But in between time and in the meantime, visit me at davidogray.info. And remember that Jesus loves you and is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters. And may the abundance of our Lord's blessings and graces fall upon you and yours. Thank you.